This is Mental Maps, a podcast about navigating the mind. My name is Dr. Josh Waddell. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, mental health counselor, and host of this show. The content of this show is focused on creating a better understanding about the mind and how you can achieve optimal well-being. Welcome to Mental Maps. So glad that everybody's here. I don't know what season this finds you in, but I hope you're well. And I believe that this episode will definitely be bringing in something for you no matter what you're going through. We are honored, honored today to have an incredible guy who's got a really incredible story. And I think that you'll be able to take something from it. Um, Jeff, how are you, man? Good, brother. Thank you for having me on the show. Good, good, So for people who aren't watching this, I think it's really important to know, Jeff is like, what, 6'2", 240? Uh, I'm about right about six one and a half, six two. It depends on how bad my back's hurting. If I'm six one <laughs> or six two, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm at like two hundred. Um, yeah. Anyway, I fluctuate between one ninety to two hundred, depending yeah. on the training day. Again, just lean, man. Nice. And so Jeff has got a really incredible story that that not only he uses as a testimony, but I think it really creates a mindset that we'll all get a lot out of. I do think it's really funny. Uh, so my first interaction with Jeff. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. We didn't even like speak to one another. We were working out at a gym uh, here near Destin, Florida. And so we're training. And I just see this guy in the gym going ham. Like it's like this cross between like functional bodybuilding and CrossFit and bodybuilding. And he just like destroys his workout and he leaves. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, this guy is a monster. And then that's all we've seen. And then I think he came back a couple of times and he was gone. It was like, he was a ghost, poof, gone. And like, he just continued on. And so Later on, ended up a colleague of mine was telling me about Jeff and his story. And I began to realize that not only is Jeff kind of a beast within his physical health, but his mental health is also there too. And so when I was looking at guests for the podcast and ways to create maybe something that we all can take from other people, I thought, man, Jeff is definitely one of those guys that can give us something. So Jeff, I think we can just kind of go in, man, you are an expert on yourself. So let's hear a little bit about your story. What's going on? How, how you even got here? Yeah, man. So, you know, it's when you when you say the um, that, you know, I've gotten here mentally and stuff like that physically, you know, I wasn't always in in shape mentally, you know, uh, and I let myself go physically for a while. Uh, whenever I got back from uh, Iraq, I, I really started to struggle with my um, mental health. Uh, How much time did you do over there overall? So it was an 18-month deployment, but I did 12 months in country, boots on ground. I worked with um, EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, and uh, we also did route clearance, um, where you basically go down the road about five miles an hour, three to five miles an hour, uh, looking for IEDs, and you either find them or they find you. You know, mm. so between that and working with Explosive Ordnance Disposal, we were on a. It was an interesting deployment to say the least, you know, and, and, um, I was also a gunner. So it was, it was fun. It was good times, man. Um, I'm very grateful and, and honored that, um, that I had the type that I've had the type of life that I've had the, the type of experience that I've had, you know, um, and you know, it goes way back before that, even back to like my childhood, I struggled with a lot of things there as well. Um, there were, you know, I, I got bullied a little bit as a kid. There's some bad things that had taken place when, um, when I was with my mom and, um, then, and, and we struggled, we were just, you know, real poor and we we're in some, 
you know, rough areas. And then like my mom got into a, a toxic relationship and in that toxic relationship, you know, uh, I, I got a little bit of abuse from that and, um, some really bad things happened to my mom. Uh, and that, that affected me later, right? Like from my childhood, you know, um, and then going forward and I started to develop, uh, like some nervous habits, you know, where I was like making these kind of funny noises, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like, it was like, I had this so much anxiety inside of me and I would just like start like, like kind of just, I was just so stressed. And then that became like this habit, you know what I'm saying? It was almost like, I just wanted to like, had this like build up a pressure and stuff. Right. I don't know how to explain it any other way, but kids started picking on me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that kind of like, it took me a long time to shake that. I mean, I've been to therapy. I went to this and, and then, um, even at one of the schools that, that I went to, like, I was kind of, I was not kind of, you know, you know, kind of bullied, but I was picked on by some kids and then, um, made sit on the floor on the bus and stuff like that. Well, then one day I got sick of that. And that situation for a fourth grader, um, a fourth grader should never be screaming that I'm going to kill you or anything like that. And I ended up choking a kid blue. Um, mm. And that was just, that was another, you know, how, how do you develop a uh, killer instinct at that kind of age? Well, it's usually developed through extreme trauma um, and seeing that kind of stuff, right? I'd seen my mom in some really bad situation and I knew that um, there was one way to, um, gain superiority over another person. And that was with violence. Right. So from a young age, um, I was introduced to violence and stuff like that. And, um, getting into the military, you know, I'm just going to kind of fast forward. Right. Oh, yeah. Because, um, so I, I always said that I'm, you know, I was going to make sure that nothing bad ever happened to my mom again and, and stuff like that. So um, when I got the opportunity to join the military, that wasn't the only reason that I joined, but it was a, um, you know, when you get the opportunity to go in and, you know, kind of turn into a badass or, or, or whatever you see, you know, fit. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you get to like hold weapons and then do like just badass things with weapons. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to, you're going to gain some kind of intimidation factor, right? Like you're going to gain this, this training. And, um, so going to combat and then coming back, uh, I didn't know what the hell PTSD was. I didn't know what TBI was and started to suffer from some of those, those consequences with like, just, you know, uh, and then trying to cope with that drinking and, and doing drugs and, and like, you know, doing ecstasy and stuff like that. And one of the things that takes place whenever you do ecstasy is it spills so much serotonin in your brain the next day you're really depressed. So what do you do? You double down, right? Like, so I kind of continued that vicious cycle for, for a long time. Like, I mean, not say a long time, like six months to a year. Um, I was bouncing in and out of jail uh, a couple years later. Um, I found, I say a couple years later, I started doing meth, but it wasn't like the drug of choice yet, right? It wasn't something that I, I really enjoyed. It was more like the cocaine, the, the ecstasy, alcohol, you know what I'm saying? Like the party scene. Um, 
and then late like whenever i found meth i was like holy shit this is this is what this is what i need you know like this is what's going to keep me um in in the place mentally that i want to be in like how so like what do you feel like well so what was it what it was doing to me was um it was preventing me from going to sleep so the the things that would take place in my sleep was the anxiety, the night terrors, the, the intense dreams that I was having that uh, I would wake up in sweats and I'd wake up screaming or fighting or something like that, you know, reach up for my gun or whatever, you know. So when I would do meth and I would stay up for seven days, eight days, 10 days, 11 days, 12 days, whatever, whenever I would finally go to sleep, I was fucking done. I was out like 12, 13, 14, 15, 18 hours, you know what I'm saying? Depending on how long that's been, been up or down or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and so that was like, I'm not gonna say that was my God, but that was like the yeah. Holy grail, right? Like that was, you know, what I thrived on. So I was selling meth, um, and you know, things weren't about bodies, but I got, you know, I wasn't going to pay for it, right? Like, it, it didn't really cost me anything because of the amount of drugs that, that were being moved and stuff like that. Well, I start going in and out of jail, in and out of uh, institutions and stuff like that, like battling suicide um, because my life was just tanking. I wasn't going anywhere. Um, I wasn't, wasn't living any kind of, like, um, productive life, if you will. You know, life was not... I wasn't valuing life. Life didn't mean shit to me. Um, I hated it. I was just waiting for my fucking car to get punched, man. You know, I mean, I got shot and stabbed in a gas station parking lot. Um, I mean, just not just living ratchet, you know, Mm. like, and that can happen to anybody. But I, if I didn't, wasn't living, and this is where extreme ownership and accountability comes in. Um, I didn't get, I didn't get, that situation did not happen because I was just like wrong place, wrong time or whatever, right? Like I wasn't just minding my business. I was going to the gas station at 1.40 in the morning to get a case of beer. So like to be able to like, so what, I, what would I do? I, was, I would smoke meth, shoot up meth, whatever, and then drink to like kind of come down or to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Or like I would do that all day long, drink and smoke, drink and smoke, drink and smoke. It's a up and the down, the up and the down all day. It would just kind of keep you balanced, right? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not that's not exactly what you call balance. A but, speed, it's a speed ball. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you call that too, you know. But um, the so taking ownership of that, I put myself in that position. That wasn't anybody else's fault but mine. Yes, it's unfortunate that that situation happened. But had I not went to that gas station, had I not drove there, had I not been out at 1.45 in the morning, had I waited till the next day, it wouldn't have happened. Okay, so there's another situation that took place. This last time that I was incarcerated, um, I go to my sentencing date, and the judge says um, they offer me a hundred dollars probation, a uh, hundred dollar bond, and probation, and I go home. I'm like two months into my my 
uh, stay at that hotel. <laughs> How much time had you already done? Uh, like two months. Okay. Roughly two months when I was going to sentencing. And <clears throat> so he offers me this, this deal. And I'm like, what if I just sit? Like, how much time would I have to do? He's like, I'm like, man, I, I get it. You know, I appreciate the offer. I appreciate, you know, like, and I didn't say this, but mentally I'm thinking, I piss a hundred bucks. I probably have a hundred dollars on my books right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I could literally buy myself out. But in, in this period of time, I'm starting to like, when I first went to jail, I had reserves that I didn't really have to be so, I wasn't, you know, my goal was like to get out and fucking get high, get fucked yeah. up, right? Yeah. Because you had made that change. Point, I hadn't made that change yet. I hadn't had the mental shift yet, right? I'm still kind of like in victim mode. And this day, I'm like, I'm really uh, like torn. I'm like, I want to go home. Like my house was broken into and robbed. I lost everything I had. I literally came out of jail with like, the shit that I had in the trash bag, right? Mm. And um, to say that I knew who had broken into my house, I knew what was taking place, I was ready to get out and fucking unleash <laughs> havoc mm. on these people. So I had to think, am I prepared to come back? Do I really want to come? And my, it's not like it was terrible there. I actually was the freest that I'd ever been in mentally while I was incarcerated. What for? Uh, so, because I was reading. <laughs> I was reading books. I was never actually in there. My mind was so far out of that cell, out of that pod, out of that facility. I was in la-la land, bro. Like, I was reading books. I was like, I mean, and I'm talking, bro, I'd read a 300 page, and this is not because I've had friends in there and they would read a 300 and something page book in a night. I would mm. read one in about three to five days. I would try to like read throughout the day all day long. You know what I'm saying? And like, because I would try to um, talk to people as well. We play chess, we play checkers, we play, it was mainly chess. I didn't know how to play chess, but I learned a little bit this time. Now I think I forgot how, but play in spades, play in chess, you know? So, uh, and at this facility, this one wasn't like I had made it into this program um, and they had like a little small volleyball court, like in the center of the yard, you know, that you could, you know, go on. But like, there was like, this is like an educational portion. Okay. So I, I went too far. All right. So I'm at sentencing and I tell the judge, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to leave on a um, hundred dollar bond and probation. I just, <laughs> I obviously don't have a really good, uh, record when it comes to showing up to court i was a fugitive for five and a half years i guess i didn't say that um but i was a fugitive for five and a half years so if i have that kind of record with showing up to things i'm probably not coming back in i'm probably not going to show back up to court i'll be on I, i'll have a warrant after my, after my first court date because i freak out you know I, just, I feel like i'm going back to jail anyway so I'm, you're gonna have to come get me you're gonna have to work for this so uh <laughs> I, um, the judge says six months with credit for time served. So I had already done, I did two weeks in that five and a half years, five years, five and a half years. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to do, I did five and a half months. 
So I think to kind of bring that for everybody who, who doesn't know what that even means. So you, you, you've accrued all these charges. You've done all these things. You've gotten all this trouble. You find yourself like sitting in jail, but you found a way to get your time through and you make the choice instead of saying, I'm out, I'm here and gone, going back out of here, going to go back to my own thing. You say, I'm going to stay here. Yeah, they gave me the opportunity yeah. to leave. And that's what's crazy about life. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, no, uh, you're out of money. Get, if, in life, and I have this mentality of, it almost has, to, like, I want it to be my idea. Right? I'm just that kind of, I'm kind of that kind of person a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like things to be my idea. So they gave me, but it's also, it was my idea to take the hard road. I guess that's more or less like what I'm trying to say. Mm. Like I, t- yeah. I make these choices. Like I don't have to do this. Yeah. I could have taken the easy way out. Yeah. Right. He gave me an option to get out. I, and I probably would have had to go to drug court. I probably would have had to do this. I probably would have had to what, take these your mm. piss tests and all that stuff. Mm. Fine, whatever. But what, what I did was I took the hard road. And it's one of the things that I'm so proud of in my life. And I feel like what's gotten me to this point in my life is that was the first step. The first step was taking the hard road that day to say, they're going to allow you to get out. And there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, man, I'll take that. Take that deal. Go. I'm got, I'm out. Right. But what if you just say, but what if I just take ownership of everything right now? I could walked out and guess what i probably would have been a felon but by me taking ownership of that the judge was like and all the charges were super old and they, they were over like five years old they'd probably reached the statute of limitations as well but in louisiana which is where i'm from they have it's like napoleonic law they can do whatever the hell they want to you at whatever those judges reign you know that's their power you know what i'm saying you don't i mean judges do what they, you know, whatever. Not saying anything bad because uh, by me taking ownership, he was like, I'll reduce the felonies to misdemeanors, non moving violations. Bro, I got legit a golden ticket. I got a legit second chance. And I took that and I ran with it. I didn't know how I was going to run with that. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, but I took by taking ownership. That was the first key, and that was the first sign that I was like, I'm doing something right. Okay, so I want to go back. Like, now I leave from there. I'm sentenced to county time, which in Louisiana, is, I'm sentenced to parish time. Louisiana has parishes. We're mm-hmm. going um, fucked up state that has that left. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> you're separated by swamps. I think that's a, it's just kind of a thing, right? Probably. <laughs> Probably. So the, uh, I'm going with that. Uh, I'm sentenced to, to parish time, county time. And I accidentally get shipped to prison. I was supposed to go to the program that was like five minutes down the road from the jail to this facility, this, um, like kind of trusty facility, but it's not trusty. It's like where they do the work release, where they do kind of like um, um, a reintegration. I think that would be called like a reintegration facility. Uh, 
they do like uh, anger management classes and all this other stuff mm -hmm. over there as well. Anyway, so I ended up getting shipped to prison, get the shit kicked out of me by a guard over there. Oh, from mm -hmm. a couple of them. And um, how does that happen? Like, how do you have like this time of like, was it like a document thing or like, how do you end up like in prison instead of like a kind of a work reintegration program? That's funny, man. Uh, mm. when, when I got back, they said, I'm sorry. I was oh, like, man. okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, so no I'm still, I'm still grateful for it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is that every, in every bit, I'm so grateful that I went that I that I was incarcerated. I'm so grateful that I got shipped to prison on accident. I'm so grateful that I had all these hands that were dealt to me that weren't perfect, mm -hmm. because that helped mold my mentality. That mm -hmm. that being forged in fire from a young age, forged in adversity, is what I thrive on. That's that's exactly how um, I made the mentality that I have today. That's exactly why I am who I am. That is why I do the things that I do. That's why I train the way that I train. You know what I'm saying? Like when you've had to fight for your life from a young age, um, the death, like quitting gets pulled off the table. And you have to learn that. Like, that's also something that you have to develop and create and stuff like that. You have to learn like in my IG profile that says die first and quit. Man, I'm and I live that shit to the fullest. Like I would prefer to die than be seen quitting. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather die fighting than, you know, die on my knees. Like just not gonna happen. I'm not built that way. Um people have the fight or flight system and stuff like that, and I have no flight in my system. It's all fight. I don't even know how to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um got accidentally shipped there made it back home and then like a week later i was in the program you so know one week all that happens yeah in one week all this stuff happened um get into the program and i really start changing my life i really start and this was kind of like what going to that program is exactly why um i was so excited for Walton County to reach out to me and like basically invite me to come be part of, of their community. You know, um, I haven't gotten to speak to the guys yet, but I've gotten to share my story with some of the peer supports and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm really excited for that journey, man. I'm really excited to be able to share um, what I have mentally, you know, with, with these guys and show them um, that there's hope. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your skin color, your whatever, blood type, you know, nationality, whatever. I don't care. Those people, bro, like this is America. You know what I'm saying? Like people that come from adversity thrive, really thrive. The people that want to, the people that want to, and the people that grind their knuckles to the bone are the ones that thrive. Not the people like this. Nobody thrives like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and hey, I've had a victim's mentality before, man. You know, the biggest, the that's, I love the fact that I was able to suffocate that victim's mentality. 
And it call it comes crawling back every once in a while, you know. Take the easy road. Take the easy road. I mean, you just hear that whisper, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, shut the fuck up, you know, I will kill you. <laughs> it might sound a little intense, man, but it's just like, hey bro, you know, it might sound a little crazy, but literally, whenever I hear that little bitch voice crawling back up, man, it's like not today, motherfucker. No, this is not the way that, that we will ride this thing until the wheels fall off. Um, so you're in like, so you've made this huge mental shift. And because so like you talk about it before, like you're a victim, 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 you're going through all these things and then you're, you take this deal. What do you think was the push for that shift? Like what made that, what made this? All, because this isn't the first time you've been in court. This isn't the first no. time you've got in trouble. It's like, what no. made it shift this time? The want to do, the want to be more. Mm. This was actually the first time when I got out that I actually tried to stay sober, mm. you know, and then got scared whenever I really started having those feelings that, that I was like, man, I don't know if, I don't know if this is, I don't know if the sober life is what's for me, you know, cause I actually started to have doubts about that like a few months later after getting out that's the the battle wasn't while i was in there the bad the real battle starts when you get out mm. because you're not you don't have the security behind those walls anymore. yeah that's a lot of support behind those walls because everybody what doing the same fucking thing as you are you know what i'm saying there's not really i'm not going to say there's no drugs in jail but i mean i'm just going to say that there's less drugs in jail than there are on the street you know what I'm saying? So, um, but whenever I bought, like, I went to the, um, the Veterans Administration, uh, and I was like, yo, I, I need some help. I'm struggling. Um, I want to go to the PTSD, TPI uh, classes and stuff like that or whatever treatment, you know, um, and start working on myself some more, you know, because like I'm on the verge of a relapse. Um, they get in there like, are you sober? And I'm like, yes, I'm sober. I'm like, can you pass a, a piss test? And I'm like, yes, I can pass a piss test. And they said, are you sure? I'm like, bro, give me the fucking piss test. <laughs> so I go and I take it, I pass it, and I get in. Um, and the program was like 45 days. And then this is I, after the... This is after going to jail and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, this is like three. So I got out in February. And I think I went in like August, the end of August. Uh, either at the end of July or I don't remember the exact date. I got out in September. So, so I went in July at some point in time because I was there for two months. I was there all of August and all of September. I got out there in September, 60 days. Uh, I believe. Anyway, whatever. Um, while I was in there, I started hearing these podcasts with Jocko Willick, Andy Frisella, um, David Goggins, and all that stuff. And I really, like, I was listening to him, Eric Thomas. Um, and I really started to, like, listen to the words that they were saying. And not just trying to, like, remember them because they sounded good. Like, I really started to try to embody the mentality, whether it was the ownership, whether it was, like, 
reaching for more, whether it was like goal setting, whether it was like whatever it was, I needed to make more of myself. I really started listening to that stuff so much that I started to think that way about myself, the way that I started to believe that by my, about myself. I really started visualizing so intensely that this is where my life is going to go. I didn't know what that meant. But I re recently um, got sponsored by First Form as an athlete. And Congratulations, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a huge, huge milestone in my life. But the job's not finished because that's not exactly where I want to be. That is where I want to be. Mm -hmm. But there's another spot that's a little bit higher than that. And it's called Elite Athlete. Um, and that's the spot that I want. But this... This little, this recognition right here, which is massive, this is a big deal. There's over 10,000 people that compete for these slots, over, way over 10,000 people. Athletes that are fighting for these play positions, you know what I'm saying? And to say that I was one of those was um, life-changing, you know what I'm saying? It was like, bro, you're going in the right direction. You're making the right moves. And for me to get that, a person that's – been as fucked up as I was, that's made the decisions that I've made, and then turn that around. How how does that happen? Like what, you know, this is this is a sign of hope. You know what I'm saying? Making these um, making those changes, getting this recognition, driving in the you know the right way in life and not going down shit show road, you know, like when they announced that, bro, I got hit with so many emotions. I mean, like I literally just put my head in my hands and like cry, you know, like, and like for hours, like three or four hours. And then the next day it was still just as intense. When I woke up, I was like, I can't believe this. I can't freaking believe this. No, I worked hard for it, but it's so hard to, like, how did I get this? How did I get a contract with that? You know what I'm saying? Like, but I do know that it's just, that was the universe showing me, Jeff. And that was first form also showing me, Jeff, you're on the right path. Keep going. Stay with us. We believe in you. That's the universe. That's the company. That's what this brand is about. That's what this community is about. And then I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't have gotten that without the support of my community. I wouldn't have got that without the support of my peers, my family, my friends, the all these people that believed in me, even whenever I didn't know how to believe in myself. And these are people that you built post, right? Because you, like you're running with all these other dudes. You're doing all these things. You do this time. You get out. You get treatment. So when did you make this shift of like, you know, we, we talk a lot about it in treatment. You know, you got to change your playground. You got to change your playmates. So when did you say like, I'm done with this sandbox. I'm done playing with these toys. I'm done being in this like playground and moving somewhere else and creating a better community that was that supportive for you. Well, while I was in jail, hmm. I wanted to come to uh, my girlfriend lived in Florida and I wanted to come here. Yeah. Um, and you know, the thing about it is the thing about changing your people, places and things is you still take you with you everywhere you go. Yeah, powerful. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
there's still drugs here. I know people still overdosing over here. People that I'm friends with now that have overdosed and died. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you can still find the shit wherever you go. Guess what? A crackhead can get sober in a crack house if they want to. Real shit. It's the truth, man. Yeah. It doesn't matter what anybody else like. You know, I've had people like since I quit drinking, right? Like I kind of fell off of drinking and stuff like that for a little while and then pulled my head out of my ass, took ownership of it, and then drove that home. Just hit my 90 days again here recently. Yeah. Um, now, it wasn't a problem. Like I wasn't drinking sun up to sun down. But as an athlete, if I'm drinking three to four days a week, alcohol has 24-hour lingering effect that affects your recovery. So if I'm drinking three to four days a week, guess what? I'm only sober for one of those days of the week. You know what I'm saying? And with what I do, I, that affects my recovery so bad, like I'm not able to give my all to my passion. So if my passion means to me as much as I say it does, alcohol doesn't come first. And I'm going to put that up. So I did. And but the shift came while I was in treatment. Uh, I, while I was in jail, there was a shift. And then while I was at the VA, there was a whole nother shift. When I started listening to those videos and really just, I literally studied. And by, when I say studied, I wouldn't even listen to music. All I would do was listen to motive, like not just, and not just motivational things. I would listen to these podcasts with Jocko and Andy and all the Goggins and stuff like that. And I'm just like, ears literally to the headphone, like, man, I need this. I need this. This is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want my life to look like. So it was in those moments that I wanted different. And then I started building on that. And I've still had times, man, where like things are just like not the way that I want them to go. And I'm like, oh man, life sucks right now. I need to, or to go have a drink or something like that, you know. Not no more, man. You know, like at the beginning of the year before I started this, you know, quit drinking thing again, that I was going to go all of 22. So before I got the contract, I said, I'm going to go all of 2022 with no, no alcohol. And let's just see where that brings me as an athlete. If I don't have a contract by the end of 22, if I want to be a piece of shit in 2023, go back and be a piece of shit. Okay, cool. But let's just see. Let's just see. At first one, we do things in like, 30, 60, not, we've been educated on a 30, 60, 90 cycle, which 36, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. You pick habits and you execute these habits day in and day out. At the end of 90 days, where are these habits going to get you? And it could be something simple as making your bed, reading 10 pages a day, get some movement in, drink a gallon of water every day. Again, water is based on, like, as an athlete, 70% of your body is water. So if you're not hydrated, where's your body getting that from? Uh, and then something else, like, do a, a random act of kindness. I don't know. That, just throwing that in there. Or, you know, wash the dishes. I don't know. Whatever. You know, journal. Like, journal would be a good fifth one, right? That's a self-improvement type thing. Make your bed. There's a... There's a there's a thing behind that. There's a book behind that by an admiral, right? About how important it is to make your bed. Well, like if you have these five things that you do daily and that's what your power list is, 
those are five created wins for your day. Now you execute that over a period of time. Let's just say at 21 days, you rotate those out, but keep doing those things, but you get five new things. Simple things. What are these simple things that be? I don't know. It's on you to figure that out or keep some of those, but just rotate some things out. Like, especially keeping in reading 10 pages a day, maybe keep making your bed journaling. If working out is a part of your life that you're not willing to compromise on, then pull that off the list and substitute it with something else. Like, I don't know, like a random, the, again, the random act of kindness, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. So like, you know, what I'm hearing in that too. So you find yourself being in this place. I'm a big, I'm a big bed guy too. And so everybody got to make your bed, I make my bed every day. I've got to do it. It's just super important. Yeah. So, but you're in these groups and you're doing these things and you're listening to this stuff. And so for people who don't know, you know, Jocko Willink and David Goggins are these guys who have really like unlocked these different type of mindsets. And I think you made a great point. It's more than just motivation. It's tools of how to live your life. And then you start applying these tools. You're going to, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to find this. You mentioned something called extreme ownership. And I don't know if everybody knows what that is. So can you like tell, kind of just share a little bit, what is extreme ownership? Extreme ownership to me is taking ownership and accountability of shit. That's not even your fault. Right. Like, like I was talking about in that situation and you know, um, but not, and not even just that, if you're telling somebody, Let's say you're telling somebody how to execute something, right? Well, if they don't do it 100% correctly, how are you going to address that? Oh, man, you fucked this up. I can't believe you did this and whatever. You're going to fuss at them, right? Or whatever. Well, first thing, if you start if you start yelling at them and everything, you're not showing very much control or you're not showing very good leadership skills because um, how do people typically respond when you start yelling at them? First off, they get defensive. Okay, so rule number one, don't do that. But when, when, when you go to approach somebody, stifle the situation a little bit and be like, hey, man, you know what? This took place and it wasn't right. And I think that I might have not educated you. Not, I don't want to say educated, but like I might have not shown you the ropes the right way. I didn't, I wasn't specific enough. And I, it's totally my fault, man. I'm sorry that I set you up for, uh, for failure, but I would like to go over it with you again and, and make sure that you understand what I'm saying. Maybe this time you watch me. And then if you have any questions, just let me know. But at this point, I did you a disservice. Like I didn't lead you properly. And maybe you just misunderstood that because I left something out, right? You take ownership of it instead of, okay, well, they messed something up. It's not, it might not be their fault. You might, you might have forgot to tell them something. So you need to take ownership of that first, of the failure. Because if people are making mistakes under you, it's the leadership's fault. You know what I'm saying? It's not their fault unless they just don't give a shit. Right? And then what do you do? Then you get rid of them. Right? But... Um, but then in your own life, you kind of find it too. Like, you know, I kind of hear and just like taking this ownership within your own life. I kind of see it like, you know, there's so many times like, and I think we all do this, like we'll jump in the car and we're driving in the road. And next thing you know, you get pulled up, you know, you get somebody like cut you off and you're like, man, screw this guy. What's he doing? You know, and ultimately right. 
you don't know what they're at. You don't know what it is, but like it just impacts your whole day. And you found a way to like get rid of what you talked about earlier, that victim mentality. And I think so many people kind of find themselves in that, whether they realize it or not, just live in this world of like victimality rather than saying, I'm going to own my place in this concept, controlling what I can control, if you will. I'll, I'll say this, man, this last race that I did, uh, I was at a hundred mile race with one of my friends and I, I DNF'd, I got 60 miles into it. I went into the race injured. I had strained my whole posterior chain. I was all jacked up. I pulled my hip flexor out there in the beginning of the race. It's really muddy. Water's up to our knees, water's up to our groin, you know, and when I DNF, I could have said, man, this race fucking sucks. This fucking is bullshit. You know, I, I, this is dumb. It's worse ever. We got Randall in the beginning, water up to our knees. That's why I pulled my hip flexor. <laughs> no, the race doesn't suck. There was people that finished it. You weren't prepared properly. You have, you're still here. You got to push yourself further than people do healthy. You went 60 miles with your whole posterior chain strained. On top of that, you pulled your hip flexor and you still went 60 miles. You went 60 miles. You went as far as you could until your leg would not work. I'm actually very proud of myself out there. But I'll tell you another thing that happened and taught me some leadership skills. That DNF, I pulled myself. They didn't, I know this is one of the things that I have to back down a hard line to die first thing quit. I drew a hard line with that. Up until this point, I never had to like really think about a team. Well, like I created this team um, called the Hundo Savages. What it stood for was like people that run 100 mile race, races. Uh, now we've kind of changed that a little bit to make it more relatable to, to other people. And I'll go into that later, but so this girl's about to do her first hundred mile and we're going to run together, we're gonna, you know, whatever. And she's like, don't worry about me. You know, it's like, whatever, I'll catch up later. And I'm like, no, we start this thing together. We finish together. And we had talked about this hundreds of times. Well, there came a very hard part to this race. And it was when I'm going to have to be in it. We started fighting the cutoffs. I don't know if you know what cutoffs are, but mm. cutoffs are you have to make it to a certain spot by this time or they're going to pull you from the race. We're, we're fighting these cutoffs. We'll get to one spot and we're like, we beat the cutoff by like 15 minutes. We beat one cutoff by like five minutes and the last one would be by like two minutes. And I was like, I had, I had an hour and a half to go six miles to go to the next eight session. I was like, we weren't going to see our crew for another 18 but to the next aid station was six miles. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way that I'm gonna make it there in an hour and a half. That just sounds like a slow pace. Dude, you'd have to see the course. It was fucking tough. <laughs> it was not easy. Um, to, to do six miles like that at 60, mi 60 miles into it, it would. it's very tough at that point because you're not always running, right? You know, and then being for me, I was injured. I couldn't run anymore right, right at that point. Uh, I was like, I have to she was like, well, I'm DNFing with you. And I was like, this is this is this is where things are gonna she's like, but you wouldn't leave, and we're like crying, right? Like we're, we're like she's got tears in her eyes. I'm like, 
I know I said I wouldn't leave you, but you have to. You have to leave me because I'm done. I can't. This is different. You're not leaving me on the course. I'm done. And you're not DNF. Do not DNF. Do not fucking DNF. By the end of the race, she completed it. We went from fighting two-minute cutoffs to she finished like five hours ahead of the cutoff mm. at 100 miles. So I was really proud of her. That was a really awesome situation. But what that DNF taught me was like, can you sacrifice when it's for the greater good of other people? You know what I'm saying? For somebody else to believe in themselves. Like I was with her for 60 miles. And she, you know, that's a hard decision for me to, to drop out like that. You know what I'm saying? I'll, the whole die first and quit thing. That's the mantra. That's the whatever. You know what I mean? At the end of the race, I was still, I was probably more proud that she had finished than if I would have finished. It wouldn't matter. That was the best part of that. You know, but she, um, she's really good. And that, that, that situation taught me a lot. And there's so much more that I just can't think right now. No, it's so, like, so you take this ownership and, and I think, you know, it's almost like one of those situations where no matter what you're doing, and I think, you know, what's so great about your story is there's like these very extreme examples of what it looks like, but yet it's so relatable for anybody. You know, how many times in our day that we don't take ownership and by not taking ownership, you know, we end up finding ourselves being in the victim mentality and they're doing things wrong. And they'll have something like that where we put our ego in front of us. Oh, I'll keep going. I'll keep doing it. And then we bring down the people around us. You know, I think we can do that as spouses. We can do that as leaders. We can do that as coworkers. We can do that as friends. And I mean, whoever you are, it's easy to not only, not only not own yourself, but then to put your ego in front of it and take the people down around you at the same time. And it yeah. sounds like in your treatment at some point, you make this shift where victim mentality is not existing anymore. I'm going to lay down the other things. It's like a me first mentality. And then you start seeing this success that kind of comes out of that. And that's profound because it's this real life examples of the things that you're applying. You mentioned earlier, like, you know, being in this place where, you know, you kind of mentioned the prison experience and the other things where it'd been easy to be like, Oh man, screw this. I'm going to do this. Like, do you still have that natural emotion of like, oh, yeah, screw this and can check it? Or have you like, is it that ex emotion doesn't even exist anymore? And you're just like in another mental state. Man, I'm glad you said that. No, that, that, that shit comes out all the time, man. Mm. That's actually part of that victim mentality and that weak mentality that I have to battle a lot. And sometimes it's like situations that pop up, I'm like, fuck all this shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm done. I don't want to hear that shit. You know? To fight that and to stuff that down and then to do what's right is hard. Mm. But I'm always, always proud of myself whenever I can recognize it. That's the thing, man, is being able to recognize, that's, that's where growth and change takes place. And eventually, hopefully I won't have those issues, right? Like I won't have those things that pop up again. Where you can take it, you can acknowledge them it's okay if life sucks. Acknowledge it, but make the best of it. How are you going to do that? When things hit you, when life hits you with a brick and it knocks you down, and it will, how do you stand back up? Or do you lay down and die and just not fight? You know what I'm saying? That's not the way that I'm built. 
and I'm I'm grateful that I'm, I've had this I had this opportunity to be able to share to share that feeling to share this growth. I do a lot of journaling, and I, I like to I like to do these these meetings with people like you, and um, it's really humbling to be able to to share perspective with people and connect with people on a different level. Like I have so many people that DM me, man, uh, about addiction, about suicide, about whatever. I'm so grateful that, and I mean, I respond to everybody. You know what I'm saying? If you send me a DM, I guarantee you it's going to get responded to. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I check my message requests. I check whatever. If somebody sends me a DM, hey, bro, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to respond. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that we get you to operate on your bell stuff. If you're willing to put in the work. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna, I do meetings. I have a, I have a calendar. I think it's called Calendly, Calendly uh, scheduler in my IG profile for people to be able to mark days of the calendar and times to be able to schedule calls with me to do Zooms. Because I'm man, like just awesome. like just like this. Yeah. I'm gonna. If you say, hey man, I'm struggling, I'm be like, mark a time on the calendar. Let's talk. Or I mean, I'm not, I'm so unpro. <laughs> when I say unprofessional, I don't mean in a bad way. I'm just. A little bit of a shit show in life and i'm very um what's the was spontaneous or yeah. like Im, Im, like impromptu you know uh so i'm like hey bro let, let's jump on a face up or like send me your email address i'm going to send you a link and i'll bring you into into this face-to-face thing because i want to see your face when i'm talking to you hmm. you know what i'm saying you need to see the expression on my face whenever i tell you because i have people that are like dude when you look at people People see the intensity in your face and it means something to them. They know that you're serious. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I use that to my advantage. And I think it works well because I also like to send people video messages. Even if I don't know you and you're just texting me, um, I'm probably going to send you a video message because I want you to see my face. I want you to see the way that, like, that I enunciate or, you know, like that I talk and that, that, you know what I'm saying? Like that I mean business. And this is a very personal message from me to you. That's how much I care about people. Like I'm an introvert, but I care about people. I care about my community. I care about seeing people thrive and win and do better. You know what I'm saying? Like by me sharing my experience and my adversities and struggles and stuff like that, um, I want to see other people win. But I think it's such a spectrum too. And I think it's so good for people to see and hear that because, you know, so many times like we read, you know, I'd say we too. I mean, I read a lot of those books and we listen to a lot of things. And so it's easy to kind of think that, you know, these people, who are doing things like you're doing have like created this new mindset. And so they don't have those experiences anymore, but you like what I hear, what I hear you saying is you still have these natural knee jerk emotions, these knee jerk experiences. And you've lived this spectrum. I lived that for so long. Yeah. Cause you're like from hopelessness to that. And yeah, man. So let's see. 13 years of addiction is a long habit to break and then so the trauma before that you got to think there's like there's like 30 there's like 33 years of like living not right like i've been out of jail for like three years you got to think it's gonna take me a lot longer than three years to fix that fucking mentality man i think that's important for everybody here like takes longer than three years takes longer than six days yeah. So it, let's say, let's just use this example. And, and 
if somebody's overweight listening to this, I, I'm sorry, but if you get offended by it, you should probably there's there's some other things that you need to deal with. But when somebody gets extremely overweight, what they didn't get there in a week. They didn't get there in a month. If you gain 300 pounds or whatever, don't expect to lose that shit in a month. Commit to a plan. Every okay, so it's gonna take you a few years. Several years, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to say you can't do it in a year, like 300 pounds a year. David Goggins lost 100 pounds in three months. But I doubt you're going to go at weight loss with that intensity, okay? So if, if that's the case, focus on a small goal, set attainable goals, right? I know in my life, we as humans, when you set some massive goals, it's hard for your mind to comprehend, like when I do a hundred mile race, right? I'm just, that hundred mile, I don't run being like, okay, I'm going, I've got 99 miles left. I've got 98 miles left. I've got I focus on running 10 at a time. I get to this 10, boom, I'm a 10th of the way done. I get to that 10th, boom, two 10, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, you know, almost there, right? I'm a fifth of the way there, whatever. Like, I get to the three, you know, I'm, I'm three tenths there, right? Like I get, I'm halfway done. It's all, I'm downhill now. You know what I'm saying? Like when we focus on a massive number, a massive scale, the brain can't comprehend that. So you have to break it down into smaller goals. And that's kind of what's happening with me in, like on the first form thing in life and all this stuff. I started out as a legionnaire. I, 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 I've gotten flown out to, to HQ a couple of times. And then I got this recognition here. Uh, and then I got the recognition as a, the sponsored athlete. Well, guess what? Next stop, I'm going to be an elite athlete with a different type of contract. You know, when's this probably going to happen? It's probably going to happen next year, you know, or it's going to happen next year because I believe in myself like that. And there's nobody that's going to stand in my way to stop me. Even though the over the goal is very overwhelming. I know that these smaller little wins are guides during the way. They like, it's just like a little step. It's just a little step. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you run a hundred miles one step at a time? You can't take a hundred steps at one time. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? How exactly. do you get to, how did you get a degree? Well, you probably got an associate's first. So you probably had to go to this. You had to get, you have to go through semesters. You don't just study for the big exam. This doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's all about trusting the process. You know, something that I was always told in school, just trust the process. And I think so many times, no matter what change we're making, you know, and I think, you know, we use a lot of different things to kind of discuss this, but ultimately it's any change. Like whether it's like, hey, I want to be a better husband or I want to be a better wife or I want to be a better son or I want to be a better employee or I want to just be a better man all in all. I just want to be a better human. Like I want to, and then like these really, like what does that look like? You make it achievable. And that's what I hear. And that's like, you can wake up one morning and say, Man, I want to lose 300 pounds, but what does that even look like? Or I want to run 100 miles. Five pounds at a time. Yeah, what does that even look like? And so. I can tell you what it looks like. It's called start now. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, so one of the things that that I was doing a call a while back and I tell them, I'm like, almost no one lacks the plan. But everyone that, uh, but everyone, what they do lack is execution of the plan. 
everybody oh yeah i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do this and this is how i'm gonna get there what do they do they fail to execute what do you think the reason is for that like in your opinion as you see so many people are trying to create change in your life and the people you're helping like where does the struggle come from with executing the plan they don't see results fast enough they sacrifice oh. what they want the most for a very small short-term so it's that, you know, that Western mindset, that immediate, you know, gratification. I got to see it. Yeah. Like you jump on the row machine and the next thing you know, you get up and you want six, like six pack abs and like, or, you know, you, you, you just stay, you know, you stay at work just a little bit later, you do a little bit more and then like, you don't get seen. It's just like, oh, well, screw it. You know, it's never going to happen. Yeah. I call it the compound factor, man. You add a little bit each time. Mm. How did I get to this point? I used to not when I and this might sound weird to hear about me, but I couldn't do the warm up at the gym whenever I first like with I went to a trainer for a little while, and uh, like in the beginning, right? And uh, I couldn't get through the warm up. And I have a friend that I run with, and he's like, "Dude, it's so crazy to see where you're at now from like two years ago." Like, two years, you, wow, two years, yeah. yeah. And it's called the comp. Like I just attack things with insanity. Like riding a hundred miles. I didn't, you know, like I thought I was a badass when I rode 18. <laughs> First time I ever rode 18 miles, I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm like, bro, dude, I just rode nine miles that way and I rode nine miles back. Like, you know what I'm saying? Thought I was cool as shit. Yeah. Fuck, that's like a, a fifth of what I ride now. <laughs> but it, but it but sounds like also small pieces. Despite having like this mindset of wanting more, like you'll at least acknowledge your success in the moment too. Of like, I just achieved 10 miles. I just done 18 miles. And then like, and then not sitting in it, acknowledging it, proud of myself, move forward. And I think that also is what people, yeah. People get caught in that a lot of times. It's either like, this is good enough or it's never good enough. And so we don't acknowledge it. And so we get frustrated too. So it's trying to find that happy medium, which you're talking about. We have to acknowledge those small wins to a certain degree. We got the sponsorship. Most people want to go out and party, right? Like, oh, sponsored athlete, whatever. You know what I'm saying? They probably, you know, whatever. You know what I did? I went to sleep. I like called my mom, told my mom, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever, these social media posts and stuff. And I went to sleep and I started over the next day. Next day was day one. You know what? Day one towards the next goal. Not that I'm unappreciative, I'm, dude, I'm ecstatic. I'm so proud of what, what this brought to me. I've never been, I've never had something like that in my life. It's one of the most proudest, one of the most proud moments I've ever had in my life. For me to get to this spot, coming from where I've come from, and not that I've had the worst life. I know there's a lot of people that's had life a lot harder than me. Somebody's always going to have it harder than me. I'm just sharing my story. I'm just somebody that's been, you know, vulnerable enough to rip my heart open, to bleed for other people to see that there's hope. But I know, and I'm humble enough to know that I don't have the worst story, man. I'm nowhere close to it. I just want to help people realize, hey, man, you're not alone. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can do this shit, you know? And, but every, every day is day one. Every day is day one opportunity to do better than you did the day before, to become a better version of yourself. Every day, I want to become a better version that day than I was the day before. And if I have things to work on, if I have a power list, if I have um, a plan of action, all you have to do is execute it. Yeah. Just check the boxes off as the day goes on. That's how you win. What do you do? First thing, you don't want to make it bad? Do it anyway. 
doesn't matter. Just make it. Doesn't take long. Five minutes. What? Like get up earlier if you're late for work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Quit oversleeping. Quit hitting snooze. You know, set yourself up for success. Go to bed earlier. You know, if, oh, if, you know, like freaking, oh, you stayed up too late. You, you don't want to wake up to your alarm. Wake up to your alarm because now you'll be tired enough tonight and you'll go to bed earlier. So sacrifices. So I think that kind of brings us into this like concept I've, I've heard you speak about before. It's about a few times. Burn the ships. Tell me about this. Like, what, what is this? Because I think we're kind of getting into that place of, uh, of burning the ships. So burning the ships mentality, man. Um, Hernan Cortez is uh, who said that initially, I believe. Um, and that's it's like in the 1500s. So they were taking over um, this, this island or this land or whatever. I can't remember the story verbatim. But he told them, he told them to burn the ships. What that mentality means is, or you know, what, what that saying means is that when you burn the ships, you're either going to take the land over or you're going to die. There's no, so you're going to, what, what does that mean? You're going to fight a lot harder to make sure that you take over what's in front of you, right? So I don't want to go back to where I came from. But I visited in my head all the time. But I burned the ship. I'm not going back. I burn. I'm like burning bridges. I don't want no part of that. When I say burning bridges, I'm not talking about it in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. I don't want any part of that negativity, that negative lifestyle, that whatever toxicity, that toxic stuff. Right? You have to push that stuff. The second that I find out that a person's toxic for me, we're, you're gone. You're done. I don't want no part of it. I don't want no part of you. You know what I'm saying? The second that you show true colors that you have uh, a negative ulterior motive, you're done, you're finished. I don't want no part of it. You know what I'm saying? If you have ill intentions, you have this, that, whatever, I'm cutting the cord, dude, done. You know what I'm saying? That's not the type of people that I have around. You know, so um, I burn, I burn, <laughs> burn the ships, man. I'm okay. going to take over the island and I'm not going to stop. I have burned the ships. There's no going back, right? I'm gonna become, you know, a volunteer with Walton County. I'm a sponsored athlete. I'm uh, associated with several different businesses and stuff like that around here that are like really good friends of mine that support uh, everything that I do. Uh, and I because you took no, over the island, right? Because you yeah. didn't go back to the ship, right? Because you can't go back to doing this other shit. Because the second that let's just say you do, right? Will you die? Your reputation's over with. You know what I'm saying? Like, and to me. That's not worth sacrificing. So that's not a land that I'm willing to go back to. So for you, I mean, we've kind of built upon your story this whole time. So when did you make the decision on burning the ship? Because it sounds like you've had times where you got in trouble and you never really burnt the ship. Like when you got out, you walked right through the island, if you will, jumped right back on your ship, took off again. So when did you like burn the ship? When I came to Destin and started to see the impact that living the life that I was living would have, I couldn't imagine living any other way. I couldn't imagine not having the support of a community that I've had here. So at that point, it was a, a zero compromise, non-negotiable to ever go back. And how much time was that between when you got out of like treatment, uh, treatment facility. Mm -hmm. 
almost eight months, probably. Man, I think that's so profound, you know, because I think for people who are hearing this, you know, you're kind of thinking like, where do I even start? Like, because we all have things we want to improve. So you're thinking like, where do I start? What do I do? It's like, well, I'm going to burn the ships, going to wake up tomorrow morning, burn the ships. But for you, it took eight months that the ship was still kind of there in the back of your head. It was there. And it took eight months for you to finally say that ship's burned. I'm done. I'm not hey, going I'll back. tell you this much. So when I got a treatment, I was still carrying around a trash bag. Hmm. And that was almost eight months after I was released from jail. I was carrying around the same trash bag. I'm not talking, not homeless. Like I had my stuff in there. That's how attached to my, I never, like I was living in Destin, but I wouldn't unpack my my trash bag. I would put all my clothes back in the the trash bag. What a great metaphor. And I think how literal too, you know, like you still got your trash bag to go back to your ship. Hey bro. And it was I mean, you know, so after I got out of treatment, I had the the trash bag for probably another couple months. Uh, and I'm not going to say that that was when, the, but when I did my first event, when I started, when I set up set 22, the strength and endurance training, 20, that's the 100 mile bike ride, the marathon run, and then the 200 pound tractor tire flip for a mile, the 24 hour. When I did that event, you can pretty much say, seeing the support that I got from that, that was when the ships got burned. That's when I developed my purpose. That's when the switch flipped. That was officially the day that the ships got burnt, that I had this new purpose, this new found drive and, and everything to never go back the opposite way. I knew at that point that I wanted to give everything I had to my community, the people around me, the people that believe in me. And I never wanted to let people down because I saw how proud people were. I had people that said that, that I would be better off dead that came back and were like, man, I'm sorry that I ever said that and stuff like that, dude. Like you have 180 degree turn your life the complete opposite direction of where you were going. And we were so proud of you. You know, like I had people say, you know, I've never seen anybody recover from that. I've never seen people, you know, um, go back all the time, right? Like it's the longest that I've been sober from drugs. Wow. You know? And, and, and with that, and I'm uh, burning that ship. It, yeah. And all these like yeah. good things are happening. You still have bad days too, but like you find yourself like moving forward. And but even is- on the bad days, man, what do I do? Right. Like, Oh, I could go get messed up, but I don't, I'll go for a run. I'll have a hard conversation. Let's say me and my, my girlfriend get into it or something like that. Like, I'm not going to run away. Right. Like, well, all right, we're going to have this conversation. We're going to have this hard time. <laughs> and that is so hard, right? Bro, sometimes it happens. It gets a little intense. And what I mean by intense, we'll just be kind of like barking back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. And I just want to jump in my truck and just like haul ass, right? I'm just like, man. And I just sit there. And, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than like, you know what I mean? Because back in the day, man, I was extremely confrontational. So like getting loud and yelling and, fighting and fussing and all that stuff was like a way of life it was like you know and then you have to you have those things that take place and it's all about gaining like back to my military gaining fire superiority so you come out as loud and as violent and as intense as possible well when that's the only way that you know how to do things how do you go the other way it's so uncomfortable to be like civilized yeah like just to be like okay i understand why you were upset (laughs) (laughs) I you know, when you. all I want to do is like, don't you fucking go 
it. <laughs> so how do you do it? Like, what do you, what do you do to kind of keep, because I think, you know, it's just another example of like how real this is because so many times like we hear these things and it's like, well, man, they don't have bad days. Like you see these people like, Oh my gosh. Like, especially like looking on Instagram, like you see some people like they're just like living it. Like there's no bad days for that dude. So like, yeah. how do you facade. manage? Yeah. People yeah. That facade, man. I don't do that. <laughs> I'm telling you if life's fucked up, man, it's fucked up. Yeah. And it's still, and, it, and it's still a challenge. I think that's so cool too, because I think, you know, I do a lot of work with people in recovery. And I think so many times when people make a huge change, they think like all of a sudden it's going to click, you know, and then like these really bad things happen or just crappy things happen. And so then like, you're like, well, what do I do? Do I go back? Do I not go back? Well, it's not happening to these people. So clearly I didn't do something right. And you found a way to find that, those skills to get you through those days. Get those coping skills. See people, when they get stressed out, they look for the quickest way to get out of their head. They look for the quickest way. It's a, it's a, the body is a protective system. It's got a governor that like, when we start feeling pain, we start feeling suffering and stuff like that. That's why we feel pain is to protect you from getting hurt, getting injured, right? To get, prevent yourself from getting injured worse. Well, when we, our heart hurts, our insides hurt, we're hurting emotionally, spiritually, mentally, or whatever. first thing we want to do is run the first thing we want to do is mask those feelings like i want to be numb to the world especially as an addict so i'm going to find something to get as deep and detached as much as possible that's why they say that when you do drugs for a long period of time you don't mature during that period of time your brain kind of gets put on pause because of the you don't you can't mature you're emotionally not maturing so this is what happened to me man and then whenever i got sober i was like what are all these emotions? You know what I'm saying? Like I was numb for so long, didn't feel shit for so long. And now I'm like, what is, what are these feelings that I'm at? Why am I crying so much? Or like, what? Like I'll just get overloaded with emotions, especially whenever I talk about my story sometimes, especially whenever I talk about the childhood stuff. Cause I think about my mom and I don't like seeing my mom hurt. And I've seen my mom very badly, you know? So um, when you, when you, when you have situations like that, you've, I keep, I keep those situations, man, real close. So as far as like burning the ships, yes, I burned the ships on going back, like walking backwards and going back to that life. But I'll tell you what I'm also willing to do. I'm also willing to walk back into the flames of hell. This is a different, this is a different type of going back. It's going back into the flames of hell to grab somebody else to help them out. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, be part of you know, the program at what County is being able to reach back into the flames and help somebody, maybe seeing somebody click, you know what I'm saying? Like seeing that, that, that light bulb shift or, you know, hopefully they get it quicker than I did, you know, hopefully they get it before, you know, they're six feet under the ground. Hopefully they get it and, and in time to, to be able to take care of their family or be able to raise their kid without, you know what I'm saying? Get them out of the system or get the, you know, break that vicious cycle. Cause another thing that happens is like, whenever you go into the system, one of the things that takes place is very hard to get out of that system. It's very hard to break that vicious cycle from going back, right? So like, what happened, how do you do that? It's very scary when you get out, because especially 
man, I kept having warrants pop up, warrant after warrant after warrant pop up and stuff like that. I mean, I kept having to face these things. It was like $190 here, $500 here, $500 here, $400 here, another charge over here, another this. I mean, hey, I did my time already. Where's all this shit coming from? Why, and why do you want money now? I gave you six months of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you supposed to get somebody to click or how are you supposed to help somebody to break that vicious cycle when the vicious cycle is set up to bring them back? Mm. Yeah, man. I'm not I saying that our system is flawed, but hey, when somebody's released from jail, the only way to keep them from coming back is for them to come out on a clean slate. So who does that? That might be a position that that that's a people uh, that need to be a position that needs to be created. My mom was actually like, Jeff, if you could, uh, you know, because, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, she went, hey, my mom, moms went to war for your boy, bro. Moms <laughs> went to war. And she was like trying to make sure that whenever I came out, there was no fun because she was like, Jeff, with your luck, they're going to go to release you and they're going to bring you right back. You know what I'm saying? I just got that so kind of luck. You know, so she was like kind of, hey, hey, run his record, run his record. She's like one of the different sheriff's apartments and stuff like that. All the different places that I've been in trouble. And nobody had anything on me. And then two months later after I'm out, boom, you got a warrant. Boom, another warrant. Boom, this happened. Boom. She's like, where did this come from? Why are y'all bringing this up now? That shit's three years old. You know, like, you know, so uh, that's something that, that needs to be thought about, I think, for guys, is that when these guys come out, the system needs to be checked so hard or like there needs to be some kind of uh, system put in place that whenever people do, do, do time, that other stuff, whatever prior needs to be either wiped out, written out, whatever to, because you're just setting them up for failure. If something happened and they went to jail, then a judge or somebody should be able to see, okay, he went to jail, boom, this doesn't matter. That's irrelevant now. Because if you can bring that charge back, well, then guess what? You just set them up for failure. That's just something that they practically already answered for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think Because the judges are going to run the shit concurrent anyway because mm -hmm. the jails are full. Mm -hmm. They're not going to run things. I mean, unless you're just a POS, they're not going to run your shit consecutive. Yeah. You know, generally, they'll take everything and then roll it all into one charge. And you're going to do time on whatever carries the longest sentence. Or they're going to bring it together a time that like, it's just all in one. And I think, you know, it's one of those situations, like I see it all the time too, both in like in the outpatient world and then the work that I do in the jail too. And so then like, like you find yourself like, you know, like you talk about, like you have all these hits, like you're out and it's like warrant or like, and I think it's relatable to like other people too, because like, you know, you've made this change and then like, here comes all these things coming at you, like snakes. The adversity in the grass, of life. Man. Yeah, man. And like for and either, it's always either money time or people, right? Like it's like something bad happened with somebody and that comes back up or you owe money to somebody, something, the government, whatever, or you owe time to something. So like, oh, I want you to come back and do time in the legal system or I need time to go do this and that. And so being able to realize that you've met you like you did, you realize that. And so you're able to like go through that experience, but you're right. Like it, it is a very flawed system and we see a lot of the challenges is within it. So you burn these ships you, you have the ability then to go back and help people get out of the ships too. You mentioned earlier like that ability to just like want to check out and like, so, you know, you have that conflict with your girlfriend and I think we're all in that place. And so, 
you know, for a lot of people you hear, it's like, well, you know, I don't use substances. So clearly I'm not, but I think we all do it. Right. Like, you know, something bad happens. We jump on our phone, we start scrolling or like something bad happens. And like, we just want to go watch TV instead of like, go do something different. Or like, well, uh, you know, instead of like going home, we'll like stop by somewhere else and not go home. You know, not that you like we're using it, but I think so many times, like we just want to avoid because we think we want it to go away. But if you take that extreme ownership, man, things change a lot. Because now that issue that you have with your girl is gone because you talked it out. It's hard to live. Powerful yeah. stuff. Did I mention to you the, uh, I heard this story about um, cows and buffaloes and facing the storm. Did I mention that? No, let's hear it. So I was on the phone with a guy the other day. His name's Tim, Tim Douglas. And uh, I met him through another friend of mine, uh, Jeff Forrester. They work together. They have a council and stuff like that. And um, they do leadership stuff and things like that. Anyway, I meet this guy, talk to him on the phone. And he's like, man, you ever heard the story about the cows and the buffalo? And I'm like, no. And he's like, man, that's so wild. And so anyway, he goes into it. He's telling me. And, and wherever, like in the Midwest, there's a certain place, maybe it's around Colorado or something like that, where there's like cows and buffalo, like kind of like in a close vicinity, mm -hmm. like the plains and then something, right? Well, whenever storms come in, I forget where they come, whether generally from the west or the east, or whatever. So whatever direction that it comes from, the cows run the direction that it's heading because they run away from the adversity, right? Well, cows weren't that fast. So the storm is going to catch it. But the cow's going to continue going in that direction. Well, what does that do? Because it's now it's running from the problem. So the problem is going to catch up to you. And if you're still heading that direction, it's going to do like this. And so now it's just, you're just lengthening the amount of time that you're sitting in the trauma or the, the pain, the adversity, the conflict, you're struggling and all this other stuff, right? The stress, everything. Buffalo do the exact opposite. When they find us, when the storm's coming, they sense it, whatever, they head towards the storm. So their time in the storm lies shorter. Hmm. Facing life storms is very relatable to life, right? Yeah. Like if you just go through it, guess what? You're, you're going to be done soon. But if you run away from it, eventually it's going to catch you and it's just going to shit on you the whole time. Oh. Yeah, so like every day, it's just like, do you want to be a cow or do you want to be a buffalo? Which one you got to be, man? Yeah. yeah. So as we kind of, you know, you look at, you know, for you, I mean, it's been so many of these like super extreme experiences. And so for some people, that's very relatable. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'm in it. I'm doing these really stupid things. I've got to change it. And so you are like the example, like the blueprint of what to do in a certain case. For a lot of people, we hope it doesn't take to these extremes to make whatever change they're trying to make. So for, for them, like, what advice would you give someone who's like, man, I just want to make a change. I just want to do something different. Like, I, I want to be different. I want to do different. Like, how do you start that? Like, what, what does that look like for you? I would set five simple tasks on every day to work towards. And these are some of the things that I mentioned earlier. Like, set yourself up a power list. Set up, but, but before you do that, set some goals. Have a vision board. I have a vision board right here on my wall, man. The, the shit that I want to become is right behind this computer. So I'm talking to you, but every time that I look away, 
I'm looking at where I want to go. See what I'm saying? Like I have stuff all around my desk in this studio that remind me of where my future needs to go. Every time that I'm in here, several times a day, I see my vision board of where I'm going. You know what that brought me? It definitely got me a, a contract. It definitely got me a sponsored athlete. And it's not just that. It's because I believed in myself. It's because I put work in. You know what I'm saying? It's because I'm, you know, I love my community. My, uh, I feel like the community loves me. You know, I, I, I try to help you. I, I have good karma, right? But I would start with five things. Make your bed. Two, uh, set a time to wake up every day and get up. You know, that could be win number two for you. Actually, that should probably be the first one because I kind of try to do them in chronological order. See, that's how much of a shit show I am, man. I'm not the most organized person in the world, but I get shit done. <laughs> so set a time to wake up. 4.30, 5.30, whatever. For me, it was easy to wake up at 5 because that's what time the inmates woke up. That was what time I woke up. And then when I went to the VA, it was the same thing. It was wake up at 5 o'clock. So it was really easy. To, and then whenever I heard Jocko talk about it, I wanted to wake up at 4.30. So I woke up between 4 and 4.30 and then I would go cycle 50 miles. So set them on. Wake up. Don't hit snooze. Get out of bed. Second thing, make your bed. Third, read 10 pages a day. Journal. Get some sort of movement in. Five tasks. And that's not the five steps to success. That's just things that you need to execute on a daily basis that are simple, that will bring wins to your day. Absolutely. So get up. I think you need to have positive affirmations in there as well. So that's kind of like a vision board. But Yeah, so what I hear in that is like, one, make your goal real. Like write them down. Like, don't let them just be sitting in your head of like, oh, this is the fantasy world I'm going to create. Like, put it on something. And then when you decide what it is, no matter what your goal is going to be, you need to wake up and do it. You need to make your bed to at least accomplish something. You need to read 10 pages, you know, probably for something that relates to whatever you're trying to do. Self-improvement. Don't be yeah. reading nonfiction books. <laughs> okay. Read something that's I mean, don't make be reading good. fiction. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. Don't be reading nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, I, meant I was getting confused. It's fine. Of course, I'm great at confusing people. That's You're why fine. people don't execute things the way that I tell them to do them because I'm going to no. screw it up. So read read real life things and stay in their life. Write something. Journal. Journal what's in here. So whatever you haven't put down, take it down and then move. Man, that is powerful. So then if that's if that's the goal, so we like you set these goals, no matter what it is, I want to be, you know, I just want to be better. I want to do something. I want to improve something. I want to whatever that is. You set these tasks. And you're doing them like when this mind shift, like when this mind shift happens and, and like you burn the ships or whatever it is, whether it's eating crappy food, whether it's yelling at your partner, whether it's just being a bad worker, whatever it is, how do you nurture it? Like, how do you keep it going? Exercising. So making you sure that, that when, would that be like when, challenging it? You know, that's a, it has to be challenged. That's how you exercise. That's how, that's how things work out. So if there's going to be a tough situation, make sure you go towards it. If there's a hard conversation you need to have, go ahead and start it. Try to have it. Not try to have it, have it. 
when you can have those hard conversations, when you can take the, the initiative, people respect that a lot. They might not like it a whole lot, but they're going to respect it. You're going to, you gain a lot of respect, man, dude, I can tell you one thing about people never don't know what I'm thinking. Like if I don't, if I don't feel a certain way about something, I'm, I'm going to tell you and people respect that about me. You know what I'm saying? They like that. Like I can have that car conversation, you know, or if something doesn't sit right with me, I'm, Hey man, I don't really feel too good about this. You know, I don't know about you, but this is just might not sit right. Can, can we, can we analyze this? Can we just kind of, let's just challenge this a little bit. Let's just re, let's visit this. Let's see what makes this beneficial to everybody. How does this, affect me how does this affect you how does this affect us is that really beneficial is this going to get us somewhere is this going to get me somewhere or is this going to be toxic or whatever right exercise exercise um emotional strength and maturity and mental integrity intestinal fortitude you know making those hard conversations you know put yourself put your you want to know how to execute put yourself in hard situations it's what i'm telling you but the way that i've used it was through fitness you know like that's kind of where i gained my mental fortitude my mental you know toughness was like by suffering choosing to suffer going running a lot like whenever the weather sucked at 5 a.m it might be pissing rain outside it might be freezing cold. Guess what? I don't check the weather. You know why? Because I'm going to open the door and if it's raining outside, I'm going to grab a jacket. I don't care. And I'm going to keep going. Like, It's a powerful uh, statement. Dude, I don't check the weather. Like, my girlfriend was like, Jeff, it's, it's going to be raining tomorrow. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. Because you okay. can't control I just, it. I, don't, I control what I can control. You know what I control? What clothes I put on. So you, yeah. It might suck, but guess what? If I go and do it, after I do it, I'm not going to say, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. And I think that's how it happens all the time, right? And so, you know, like, I think we're using a lot of the training because, I mean, one, everybody needs to get active. Everybody needs to move. Like you said, everybody needs to move. And then two, it, it is such a challenge for the body and the mind. And I think, let's say, even if like you're, you know, you're already training and it's still a struggle, or maybe that's something that you're struggling to do, go get active. But I think like you're saying, challenge yourself. Like I heard um, there's a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I tell a lot of people about it. It's a really interesting book and uh, by John Mark Comer. And he talks about in it, he's like trying to eliminate hurry in his life. And so he'll go purposely set in lines just to challenge that mindset of, oh my gosh, I need to go. So he'll get in the slow lane in traffic or he'll pick the longest line at the grocery store or he'll sit in the longest line at Starbucks instead of ordering it on his phone and walking up and leaving. And so whatever you're trying to do, whatever this mindset is, you got to challenge it. And it sounds like that's what you found in training. And I think that's what, no matter what you're trying to create, that's what you got to find. Well, man, how, how many, how many times do you go to, you, you, um, you train, you work out, right. And how many times before you go to the gym, you're like, I don't really feel like doing this today. <laughs> right? Yeah. How many times do you talk yourself out of it? Or how many times do you actually go? Right? Like, yeah. 
But I can tell you one thing, no matter, no matter how bad you don't want to go, when you go and you leave, you're never going to say, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. Mm. I agree with that. I mean, I've been there. I've been there as well, man. There's times, you know, my wife and I, we get up at 4.30 every morning. She gets up a little bit earlier than me because she like brushes her teeth really long. It's a weird thing. But we end up by getting up really, we get up and we go and there's times it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, it's raining outside or it's like been kind of weird and cold here in Florida. So it's like, oh gosh. But then you go, it's like, hey man, I feel, I feel better now. I didn't something like that. Yeah. The mind thing. So you create this change, you nurture it. I like it. Hey, but if you don't exercise it, you'll lose it. It's just yeah. like discipline, man. Discipline has to be ex- exercised. So I had quit waking up like super early for a while, and it was really hard for me to get back. Mm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I'm not gonna say that I'm perfect. I'm not gonna say I'm flawless. I'm, I'm, far, I'm far from it. I'm a very flawed animal. It's not. It's human to be flawed. Yeah. What's not human is to pretend that you're perfect. Then you're an asshole. Or not even acknowledge it, not even see it. You know, what's the difference that's the it makes it? Yeah, between a human and an animal. You know, an animal doesn't it's know okay it's going around. Things crazy. Suck. Chad Wright says, he's like, dude, things are going to suck. It's okay. Acknowledge it and then go through it. That's so hard, you know? Yeah. Man, like, guess what? This sucks. <laughs> All right. Sometimes it makes it that much more fun, but just acknowledge it. It's like, it's not fun, but when you get through it, you're like, I did it, dude. I did it. I'm proud of myself, man. I overcame that shit. So burn the ships, do those five things, make your goals real, and just keep exercising it, keep training it, keep challenging. Well, you know, and that's another thing. It's like journaling, dude, has been like journaling inspired, like wanting to write a book. You know what I'm saying? So now I have these different journals, and I have this this stuff, man, where. Um, the writing and putting my feelings down, it allows you to process things. I have different days, different, I like, I just pick a word, right? Like potential. These are my last two journal lectures. It's potential. And then gumption. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just pick, I just pick a word and then write about it. How it relates to my life. How do I feel about it? Like one day I wrote like 24 seven or something like that. What does 24 seven mean? You know, or tw- I think maybe it might not have been 24 seven. I think I called it 25, eight, like 25 hours a day, eight days a week. Cause I'm giving that extra, you know what I'm saying? Cause that's what I'm about. I'm like, I'm not going to give you hundred percent of me. I'm going to give you 110% of me. I- I'm going to give you so much of myself that like, you're going to be like, he's all in, he's all in, you know what I'm saying? And some. You know, like the whole the NBA, uh, the NBA slogan, and one, you know, like mm-hmm. I gave you all, all of me and some, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how, that's how intense it shit is. You know? How long so, does it take you to journal? Bro, it depends on the topic. Sometimes I'm done in like 10, 15 minutes. Like I put music on and I get like, when I, when I, depending on the word and where I'm wanting to go, I'll put some music on it and I just like vibe with it. Like, it's a very, it's a very special thing to me, man. Sometimes I like write for pages and sometimes I just need to get a little something off my chest, man. I just need to like kind of, you know, get a little, you know, just talk about like my day, 
right? Like what this word means. And like, I don't always go into like a trauma. Sometimes I just talk about like the power that, you know, like doing this or like what, what does potential mean to me? Like, I feel like, you know, you're not reaching your true potential if you don't suffer. I don't feel like you're reaching your true potential if you don't, you know, uh, you try to make people better, do service work and stuff like that. Like you have to give to your community. You have to give to yourself. You have to give, you know, to the people around you and stuff like that. You're not going to reach your true potential if the first time that you reach, you get to suffering and then quit. You know what I'm saying? Like you're only at, like Goggins says this, because I was about to say it and I was like, oh, I need to give credit to where I heard it from. But he's like, when pain and suffering arrives or whatever, you're only at like 40%. And I think that's very true because mm-hmm. like until your body shuts down, you have not given 100%. Until you're pissing blood, you're not really like close to really like shutting down. <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of like reframes so many of our problems in life, right? Like we're all like complaining about certain things. It's like, man, I've got like 10% in this, right? Like I'm not over here like sucking wind, dying in the corner. Right. People are like, I'll see people all the time. Like, oh man, I'm tired. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Bro, I, my first hundred mile run that I did, like I was falling asleep running on the sidewalk. That's how tired I was. Like you're tired. You're still talking. <laughs> like how tired are your eyes rope? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but, uh, it's all about yeah. the mindset, you know, it's like you talked about. It's that, that, that's one of my favorite things is uh, it's like everything is mine, dude. Like, I'm so scared of a weak mentality. Like, I get very angry. Like, I'm so hard on myself, dude. If I start seeing myself talk myself out of things, I get very, it gets very dark in my head. Like, I was, my self-talk is nothing pretty, dude. And I mean, I'm not even going to say the stuff that I tell myself in the mirror on here because it's just very misguided, but that's how I motivate myself. That's not going to work for everybody. If, when you talk negatively to yourself in the mirror, if you're going to go kill yourself after you tell yourself some fucked up shit, you probably shouldn't do it. Maybe you need to talk sweet to yourself. For myself, I say some very harsh things, especially if I'm in the suck. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, there's going to be like, like, come on, buddy. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, you so, figured out what worked for you. And I think that's what we, you know, we all have to do. You have to figure out, and one, I'm sure you've had to try things. So what, what works, what doesn't. And then when it works, you just keep, like you said, exercising it, nurturing it, working it. So I visit it those dark works. times, man. I visit yeah. those dark times. You know, that's what it's all about. And like, that's how you take, things and make them work for you. One of the things that I heard Ed Milet say, I, I was in this uh, coaching thing called Arte with Andy Frisella and Ed Milet and stuff like that. One of the things that he said was take your oddities and make them your commodities. Take your flaws and make them work for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the shit that's wrong with you, the shit that's like, like I have nerve damage in my face. I have a plate right here in my mm-hmm. face, whatever. I don't want to blow out. And uh, freaking... So, like, I have this, like, thing that I do, like, you know, whatever. That used to make me fear getting on camera. I don't care. Like, somebody was like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? Like, you're all, like, doing some weird shit with your face. I'm like, it's just no damage. It's not that big of a deal. I don't care. Whereas before, I'd have been like, oh, I hope they don't see me, like, tweaking out over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
but that's not what it is. It's just nerve. It's just shit that I can't control that does it on its own. Like, I mean, yeah, I could force it to do it, but like whenever it, it, it like kind of just, my eye just twitches or whatever. And it's like kind of pulls on this stuff too, whatever. So that was one of the things that like, when I started talking to my stories and doing these podcasts and talking in front of people, I was so scared that somebody was going to be like, but what the fuck's wrong with your face? Now I know that it makes me different. I know that that's probably one of the things that people appreciate about me is because I'm vulnerable to, enough to stand in front of you and not give a fuck. Because honestly, the shit that I tell myself in the mirror is way worse than the shit that you could probably ever think about telling me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. nobody can hurt me the way that I've hurt myself. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Physically like, and yeah. Physically and mentally. I put my body through so much chaos, but it's controlled chaos. Yeah. And that, for me, is very special because it's my choice. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I choose to do this. This is my choice. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that, you know, if you take anything from today, just the ownership piece, you know, what, what, a, what a profound, profound thing. So as we kind of wrap up and we kind of send the people off, you know, if, if you, what's one thing? you would tell somebody who's like in a dark place right now and maybe struggling or hurting, you know, whether they're like, you know, whether it's like a mental thing and maybe they're finding that depression or that feeling really down or maybe they're anxious or they're nervous or whatever. Like what is something you would tell somebody who's in that place? Embrace it. One, acknowledge it and then counter it. You know, like when people are fighting, and they throw a counter punch, you're acknowledging that a punch is coming this way and then you're gonna react, right? And then how you react and then respond, right? Take action. So if you're in a dark place, whatever puts you in that dark place, how are you gonna get yourself out of it? Um, I don't know how to tell people to attack that other than to move, go for a walk, get some sun, journal these are some very basic things that actually help me turn my life around call somebody that cares call somebody that that you look up to call me dm me shoot me a dm on social media you know whatever so call whatever like let's figure something out just don't give up mm. you know in life so many people give up and just roll over and die we're not built to give up so why do it? Why quit? Why sacrifice greatness? You know what I'm saying? We're all, we're all built with the same structure. We all have bodies. We all have talents. We all have this. You can become, I'm 37 years old. How did I get a sponsorship right here? Because I didn't quit. Because I didn't give up. Bad things happen. But they didn't happen to me. It happened for me. Mm. Things happen so that way I could be able to get to this point today and help other people. So if you're suffering and you're struggling, hang on. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. And with that situation, go forward and help somebody else. It's mm. powerful, man. Yeah. So acknowledge it. Do something about it. Do those little things, even because... Like where everybody's like, oh, well, you need to go to some coping skills, but they work and they're real and they work for you. 
if I had a shit day, dude, if I did everything on that list, I feel like my day was still successful. I woke up, I, I made my bed, I journaled, I did, I controlled what I could control. Control Man. what you can control. That's the only thing you can do in life. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you, man. I think that you, you passed on so much great things, things I'm going to use in my life. I hope that everybody else can take it too. So if people want to follow you, they want to kind of keep up with what you're doing, this, this brand, all the things that you got going on, like how can they do that? How can they follow up with you? Uh, so I have, I have social media. I have Facebook. I have Instagram. I prefer people to try and check me out on, the, uh, on IG. I actually have, you know, you've got a lot more headspace for followers there than, than on Facebook. I have a Facebook group. Uh, called Building a Better Tomorrow by Jeff. If you don't know how to spell my name, I'm sure it's going to be somewhere on this or whatever. G-E-O-F-F. It's with a G-E. Yeah. Not, yeah, not like Geoff. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the last name, um, S-P-E-Y-R-E-R. Um, so it's at Jeff Spire. If you go on uh, YouTube, I have a YouTube channel. Um, I'm working on putting some more episodes out on that. So uh, Facebook, you got Instagram, you got YouTube. The two platforms that I thrive the most on are Instagram and um, and and YouTube outside of my Facebook group. I'm on Facebook, but the ceiling is very short there. So I try to keep that just to my family unless you're in my Facebook group. Well, check them out, guys. You know, I know for me, I, I follow you on Instagram. Some just really great content every day, things that kind of motivate you. So, man, Jeff, thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been an honor hearing your story. I think for anybody listening to you, man, Go burn some ships burn and don't ships. be a cow. Be a buffalo. Be a buffalo face. Be a buffalo. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, brother. Appreciate you.